episode 171 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 28th of March, 2022. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. How's it going? Graham. Hello. And Will. Good evening. Let's get straight on with our discoveries then. Phelan, computer networks from scratch. It's a thing that I found on, I think it was Hacker News, I'm not 100% sure, but it's a book that a guy called Seth Archer Brown is writing. And I just kind of liked it. It's about networks and it looks like a good intro for people who've never done them. I mean, it's not finished yet, but it's kind of of the like of XKCD or Julia Evans. She has some really cool cheat sheets. Um, and they're, they're just, it's just a nice graphical way. It's like those books that you wish you didn't have to read the stuffy fucking Tannenbaum shite or whatever that we had to do back in university 20 odd plus years ago where you just looked at and you wanted to kill yourself while you were reading it. This is just a nice uh, sort of labor of love. So I thought that was quite cool. Oh, now I know absolutely nothing about networking. Oh, there you go. It's perfect. It's not finished yet, but at least you'll get started. <laughs> and what, you can read a bit of it already? Yeah, yeah. It's 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 available for free. Uh, I don't know if he's looking to make any money on it at all or what, but uh, it, it's just really nice. Um, so I would say give it a look. I mean, anybody who's big into computers will already know how to do it, but... You know, if you want to pass on some info to somebody else, it's a great start. Or if you're an ignorant oik like me, then have I? Well, that is it too. I didn't <laughs> want to point that out. I've just had a very quick scan through the first couple of pages, and it, it does really start from first principles and, and build up from there. And it, it's a nice read. It, I like it. I think this would be good for GCSE kids as well. If uh, well, I don't know what the curriculum is these days in GCSEs, but... This seems to cover quite a lot of the sort of things that I covered when we were doing GCSE. So, yeah, if you're studying for a computer GCSE, take a look at this. Wasn't networking then just two yogurt pots and a piece of string? (laughs) (laughs) It's got some really good stuff about binary. It's got um, things about low-level electronics, logic levels, hex, you know, all of the good stuff. You've already lost me. (laughs) A computer is like a big electronic brain. (laughs) (laughs) It does look a lot like XKCD, though, in the style of the drawing. Yeah, that's what I liked it. I just thought it was great fun. Yeah. All right, Will, you're going to shield Telegraph, which is uh, a work thing. Yeah, it is a work thing. It's uh, Popey's team, actually, that work on this. Um, Telegraph is... A, um, and an agent that collects metrics in all sorts of different ways. And it's got hundreds of plugins. Um, I, I don't know how many, uh, at least a couple of hundred, maybe three or four hundred that can talk to all sorts of different things from looking in a local file to listening to MQTT networks to SNMP to web, like fetching web requests, all of those sorts of things. If you can imagine it, it's probably got a plugin to collect it. And then it's got a sort of middle layer, which allows you to apply rules and change the data into the format that you want it in. And then at the output end, again, it's got loads of plugins. So it's not just sending it to InfluxDB, but it will also send it to lots of other places as well in and allow you to change those formats, allow you to write out to files, all sorts of things. Um, I've been using it in the last couple of weeks for one, sending the battery level of my Robo Hoover uh, to Influx Cloud because I care about that sort of thing. Um, but another slightly more useful or slightly more generic feature was fetching some temperature data from my Zigbee network, which is over MQTT, and publishing that to a file which exists in a web directory. 
So now I've like within two lines of config, so I haven't had to write any code here, two lines of config, I've taken a metric that's coming in over MQTT and now I'm outputting it to the web. Really, really straightforward, easy to extend, easy to convert data formats from one to another, uh, just all round really useful, easy to use tool, very powerful, and you can do all of the heavy lifting writing YAML instead of code. Oh, man, you had me until YAML. <laughs> I never know where to put the spaces. It just fucking never works. Well, Telegraph will tell you where your mistakes are, ah. so it's even easier. Fair enough. So, Graham, various writing tools are linked here. Yeah, well, I, th- I thought I'd go to the other end of the spectrum after doing Vim stuff last time we did our discoveries. Um, there's two two graphical writing tools that I often use. Uh, one in particular is called Focus Writer. It's like a very minimalist word processor. Um, it's, it's written in Qt. Um, it's cross-platform. But what I really like about it is that it's it has like a focus mode, so it completely gets out of the way. You can do a full screen view you don't have any kind of interruptions or any kind of temptation to load youtube it renders fonts beautifully you can do things like spelling and grammar checks but also there's a thing in writing apps where you can just see the sentence that you're working on or the paragraph that you're working on and different sentences and paragraphs that are further away from your cursor position will go out of focus almost I don't use that specifically, but lots of people do use that to try to focus on the sentences that they're writing on. It looks very KDE friendly with a million options for everything. Yeah, and you can save them as profiles um, so you can have different writing modes for different kinds of documents. Um, I mean, I use it for technical writing. I don't use it for writing books, but people do use it for actually writing works of fiction and things like that. My other find is more of a technical writer tool because um, even though it's Electron, I'm sorry, Phelim. It's a really lovely editor that's built on top of Pandoc. And if you're into kind of technical writing, Pandoc is the kind of socks conversion tool for all text markup. It will convert between one thing and another, between Markdown and HTML or XML or whatever you want. Panwriter is a GUI, very similar to Focus Writer in what it offers in terms of writing tools. It has a preview on the right-hand side, so if you're writing in Markdown, for example, you could see how it would render in HTML. Well, that's quite nice. If you want like a very kind of slick writing environment where you don't have to worry about the stuff that I was talking about last time with all the Vim configurations, this is like the opposite. You can just start writing um, and you're it, distraction-free and then save everything you want in whatever format you need. It's beautiful. I, I love both of them um, and use them all the time. Yeah, that split pane view reminds me of HedgeDoc, which is the sort of hosted... Yeah, and Ghost. It's a common kind of thing, especially with Markdown, because people don't feel confident enough in the way that things are going to render. I don't really have a problem. I don't use the preview, but it's nice to have if you're writing something for a blog post and you want to know exactly how it's going to look. If I'm quite honest, that focus writer page where it's sitting on top of a wooden table it just feels threatening to me i don't know why <laughs> it's like it, it feels like school where you have an essay you need to write 10 pages and it's on some horrific <laughs> title that you just don't want to ever pick in reality and now you must go yeah i, I would never use it how is this different from a biro <laughs> See, oh, that's oh, threatening me too have you, have you tried writing recently I've had to write a few things the guy can't do it anymore I know I can barely write these days I'll do my final discovery as a quick one because it's funny and quirky and, and it's something if you know if you know Harry Potter you might know what it does it's called Horcrux and it's an encryption tool 
One of the problems you have with encryption is that you need to have either a private key or you need to remember a passphrase. With Horcrux, it will split the thing that you want to encrypt into 10 pieces. And um, the idea is that you put all those pieces on a different USB stick and hide them in different parts of the land. Um, and you can say you only need five. And if you can find five of those things and bring them to the same place, you can reconstruct the file. Hey, this is like the DNSSEC protocol that they use. Oh, is it? Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm trying to think what it's called. Yeah, it's like encryption with redundancy that you're supposed to go and put the file somewhere else. But it's it's quite an interesting idea and a bit of fun. Yeah, I think this idea is used by the FreeBSD project as well. Like, uh, they need a certain number of pieces to put it back together or something. Yeah, and in the world of downloads, um, there used to be par two files um, that would be um, which would basically cover the diffs between lots of files. So that if you only had a few of them, you could maybe rebuild them depending on how many par two files you also had. Or is that the split raw thing? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then there'd be an accompanying set of par files which could be used to um, rebuild any missing raws. Graham, you are both too old and too young to know about Harry Potter, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I must admit, I, I was quite into it when the books were released. Um, I wasn't living in the UK, and it was um, it was quite a nice link to the UK at the time. Uh, well, I have learned a lot about Harry Potter through cultural osmosis, but I've never read a single book or seen a single film. But I know that Snape kills Dumbledore. He's going to read it. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Right, so I was desperate searching in the background trying to find out what that one is that the DNSSEC people use it's Shamir's Secret Sharing SSS ah uh, well done that, I think that's exactly what Horcrux uses actually it rings hey. a bell I'll have to look at the <laughs> remedy but yeah they haven't reinvented it entirely then alright never reinvent your own encryption so that's good mm. <laughs> even in the fantasy wizards with glasses and lightning bolt scars and such forth alright well my discovery is that it takes a Mac to save a Mac if you fuck around with the partitions and soft brick your M1 Mac, then it just gives you a URL when you boot it. And you go to that URL and it just says, yeah, this is really easy. All you have to do is connect your Mac to another Mac and it'll miraculously fix it with this application and blah, blah, blah. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, I haven't got another Mac. Fuck you, Apple. What am I going to do here? And uh, there is a FOSS alternative called iDevice Restore, which I didn't know about at the time. I talked about this on Linux Downtime uh, when we were talking about Asahi Linux. And uh, it's just the most fucking Apple thing ever that the only way to fix a broken Mac is with another fucking Mac. I did laugh when I listened to it walking the dog. I thought, how, why do they not have like a bootable CD that can, like, is that so impossible that they could have some sort of signed CD install that they could fix? CD? I meant USB stick. You know I meant that. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> yeah, or like at least iTunes on Windows, maybe? That'd kind of be acceptable, wouldn't it? Well, I mean, I think people should listen to the pair of you, but like two out of two managed to brick their entire machine. <laughs> like, what is the Apple uh, partition software? Is it that useless? Like, it's bizarre. What it is, the EFI BIOS thing is on the SSD with the M1 Max because it's much more like a phone than it is a normal computer. Ah. And so if you delete the wrong partition... You just totally fuck it. The thing was, Gary was saying that he couldn't get it to actually resize the partition. Like, it just wouldn't do it. Oh, well, that's because the disk management or whatever the fuck it's called on uh, macOS, the GUI, is shit and just doesn't work properly. That's what I don't understand. You paid all this money for this machine and that doesn't work properly? Like, what's going on? Well, 
you're not supposed to start installing Linux on it, are you, at the end of the day? Yeah, but the, the, the lowest common thing would be that it could just delete partitions that you want back. I, like, I don't understand that at all. That is so, so strange. Well, like I said last time, macOS is shit, and I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this episode is sponsored by Collide. Go to kolide.com slash late night Linux to sign up today. Collide sends employees important, timely, and relevant security recommendations for their Linux, Mac, and Windows devices right inside Slack. Collide is perfect for organizations that care deeply about compliance and security, but don't want to get there by locking down devices to the point where they become unusable. Instead of frustrating your employees, Collide educates them about security and device management while directing them to fix important problems. Collide helps deal with some of the many issues that are not solved by locking down devices, like instructing developers to set passphrases on unencrypted SSH keys, finding plain text two-factor backup codes and teaching end users how to store them securely, and convincing employees to uninstall evil browser extensions that may sell their browser history. You can try Collide with all its features on an unlimited number of devices, free for 14 days, no credit card required. Try it out at collide.com slash late night Linux. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash late night Linux. Let's do some feedback then. And the first one is about Matrix. So Evgeny wrote in to say, thank you for mentioning the Matrix room recently. I joined and very much look forward to the conversations. I'm a little puzzled, though, with your hostility towards the idea of a bridge. We've been using Matrix Telegram Bridge for our Russian indie web community chat for about a year now, and the experience has been so great that we consider the Telegram group and the Matrix room to be equally official for our little community. Also, I thought I'd put in my two cents regarding the email hosting. I've given up on free email hosters a long time ago and have been jumping hosts for some years now. This January, I've decided I've had enough of it and started my own email server on a cheap VPS. It took a bit of figuring out to set everything up correctly, and it costs a little bit more than your average email host, but it's the best experience I've had in years. Okay, well, the hostility towards the bridge is that... Joe hates them. <laughs> well, it just, it requires maintenance, and that's the whole point. It, it requires effort that I just don't have, and, and time that I just don't have, and energy, and all the rest of it. But if you say it's been working perfectly, then maybe I need to look more into it. Well, I, I had an account, I actually logged into the uh, Matrix room, and I was going to look up how to link them, but I never got around to it because of work. But I was going to take a look. Yeah. How many people are in there then? Well, I, I'm logged in there right now, but I genuinely don't know how many people are in there because I can't see a counter on how many people are present. Now, whether that is just my own ignorance or stupidity, it could be both. Oh, wait, no, there's 64. There we go. I found it. Ha ha. 64. Oh, right. Yeah. Wow. There you go. Okay. Maybe we should look into this then. Yes, we should. It's funny. Whenever we mention the Telegram group, we get a flood of new people. And so we always ask the question, what's your favorite distro? Well, someone turned up today and said Sousa. And so, okay, well, you're not a bot then. Then he only sent a fucking dick pic to someone privately. <laughs> <laughs> so we had to ban it. Jesus. Like, what the fuck, man? Uh, the, like, the bots are learning. They are. They are learning. Sousa users for you. <laughs> That's an outrageous thing to say, Graham. There's no Sousa users, only bots. <laughs> I can only assume that it was a real person who was like, uh, Distro, what's that? And then just the first, like, what is Distro? <laughs> Sousa? And got away with it. So uh, 
Yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, that, I tried a bot, and then that fucking didn't work. And then uh, we tried this test, and now that's not working. It, it just seems like more hassle than it's worth. We just need to, uh, I don't know, just have everyone email in. That's just the best way. And maybe we should have a mailing list. I'd just like to point out that the Matrix room has actually surpassed the IRC room, which has 56 people in it right now. All right, well, no doubt when I'm editing this and listening back, I'll probably join the IRC again. And uh, We'll all hide. Yeah, as usual. As for this email hosting, hosting your own email is a bad idea, not because it's difficult to set up or anything, but just because if you're not one of the big providers, then the other big providers will just block your fucking emails. And what's the point of email if it can't be delivered? And yes, we're in a terrible situation now where if it's not being sent by Google or Microsoft or some of the other big players, it's not reliable. But that's the reality that we live in. Failing, you're going to say, oh, no, I'll host my own email and it's fine. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they could block it. But I mean, equally, people can screw up at Microsoft or whatever and it can, you know, they had that patch that had to be applied to everything. Yeah, I mean, bad stuff can happen. And, you know, I'm not going to let them bully me out. If they don't want to take my email, whatever. I don't care. People can ring me and I can tell them how shit their hoster is. Fair enough. I don't think the way to a open internet is to just capitulate. It's to be obstinate and annoying and a thorn in people's side and just keep complaining. Well, Phelan, you know how English is your second language. I'm going to give you a lesson here. We have this phrase in English. It's called pissing in the wind. Right. So you go with or against the wind? How does it go? <laughs> <laughs> well, what you're doing is pissing into it, whereas what we're doing is pissing with it. Uh-huh. <laughs> you're still going to get fined by the police. <laughs> <laughs> so Christian has written in um, to say, firstly, um, I didn't know about QuickMU. I will have a look at that. And then just wanted to know what you guys think about Vagrant, which has a comparable use case. It deploys pre-configured VMs on any modern hypervisor, such as VirtualBox, Zen, KVM, VMware, etc., and also supports running shell scripts or configuration management, such as Ansible, Salt, Stack, Puppet, afterwards. Also, you can pin to a specific VM template version, which makes it brilliant for reproducing particular application configuration states no, it works on my machine anymore. The VM images are available in a kind of template store, but you can also easily create your own images. I'm using it to create training environments for my colleagues. They only need to copy a configuration file to their system, run a single command and wait 20 minutes until everything is finished. No manual steps required. I love it. Now, I've heard of Vagrant, but I've never tried it out. But I hear nothing but good things about it. I think it's a great idea. It's unfortunately written in Ruby and therefore does not meet my standards because <laughs> I hate Ruby. <laughs> Does it need to be C, Phelan? Oh, all the way. No, it is very good. You see people, it was quite big, maybe in the late 2000s, early 2010s, maybe. I didn't really see that many people using it. I think Docker's kind of eaten a lot of its uh, lunch or whatever the phrase might be, but it is very good. Well, yeah, containers have generally eaten a lot of VMs lunch. It's only really like your old school sysadmins like you that still go the VM route rather than containers. Well, more secure, different kernel. Uh. <laughs> also, <laughs> fuck a bunch of Docker. <laughs> well, as a teacher once said to me, it's horses for courses at the end of the day. I think there are different use cases for both of them. 
Another Will wrote in to say Graham may already know this space, but recently I researched open source alternatives to Pocket. There are several out there with different emphases, Read it later, bookmark sync, shareable collections of links, long-term web archiving, and more general notes slash knowledge organization with good support for links. The most direct comparison I found is Wallabag. It has an app on F-Droid and a Firefox extension. It can be self-hosted, or you can pay a small sum for a hosted version run by the developers. It supports tagging and offline reading. One concern with it is that it focuses on read it later. I'm also interested in knowledge organization and I worry that the read it later focus might not scale for storing many links long term. I want to dump links into it rather than keeping hundreds of browser tabs open indefinitely. Perhaps I have to use two tools. A bunch of the options I found were in these lists and we'll put those in the notes. The main draws of Wallabag for me were the app, the browser extension, and the hosted option. Charlie also has an app and a browser extension, but seem to have less overall community support. Charlie, yeah, that's the only way to say that, isn't it? S-H-A-A-R-L-I. Yeah, thanks, Will. And um, thanks, Will. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't actually heard of uh, Wallabag. Um and yeah, as an avid pocket user wanting to find an alternative, I will definitely give it a go and report back on how I find it. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late night Linux to get started with $100 free credit. From their award-winning support offered 24-7, 365 to every level of user, to ease of use and setup, it's clear why developers have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Deploy your entire application stack with Linode's one-click app marketplace or build it all from scratch and manage everything yourself with supported centralized tools like Terraform. Linode offers great price-to-performance value for all compute instances, including GPUs, as well as block storage, Kubernetes, and more. Linode makes cloud computing fast, simple, and affordable, allowing you to focus on your projects, not your infrastructure. So go to linode.com slash late night Linux, create a free account with your Google or GitHub account or your email address, and you'll get $100 in credit. That's linode.com slash late night Linux. James wrote in and said, I use Get iPlayer to download stuff I want to listen to from the BBC. It works really well, and I've written a front end to it, which allows me to use my Raspberry Pi to download the stuff overnight and sync thing it to my phone. The front end uses the program name to search for any files to download. This means that I do not depend on checking if the show is available. It works rather like Bash Potter, which downloads podcasts. I'm willing to share this front end with anybody who wants it. And Chris said, I agree with your sentiments regarding BBC Sounds and this new move to push users into the app slash site rather than the podcasts. I've switched to a solution that might be of interest to listeners potentially. Get a Raspberry Pi with a TV hat or DVB USB stick and install TV Headend. This can record scheduled radio programs in the same way as TV on Freeview, so you can avoid BBC Sounds and get iPlayer and still get your Desert Island discs fix. You can extend this by sharing the downloads area in something like Nextcloud for synchronization over devices. Now, both of these are great Linux person solutions to the problem of BBC being a shower of bastards. <laughs> and yes, we're all capable of finding some hack to get around their bullshit. And that's what makes this community so great, that here are two potential solutions to the problem. But that doesn't change the fact that the BBC are acting like a shower of bastards here. 
And that that's the key thing because you can't expect normal folks, whatever you want to call it, non-techie people to do shit like this. And it is they who will just download the Sounds app and not listen to a podcast anymore. If it's not an audio program delivered over an open RSS feed, it's not a fucking podcast as far as I'm concerned. I use TV head end in, in the way that Chris says. And one of the nice things about it that isn't the same with BBC Sounds or the RSS feed is that at least with satellite transmissions, the uh, bit rate's higher. It's a better audio quality than any of the streaming ones I found. I do worry about the future of Get iPlayer. It feels like it's only a matter of time now until they really stamp it down. Mm. Yeah, I've had to resort to the snap of that because it just keeps getting broken, obviously not by the devs, but by the BBC. And it's just a constant cat and mouse chase. And I think you're right, Will. I think that that and, and YouTube DL as well, we've seen attacks on that. It, it seems like there's a real arms race here. But time and time again, we've seen clever developers find ways around the bullshit that companies throw at them. Like There's even ways to listen to Spotify on the command line and stuff. So I have faith that it's going to get more difficult, but that there are clever enough people on our side that it'll be fine. Well, maybe they'll just fix their shitty app. <laughs> maybe, yeah. And maybe they'll even open source it as well, like, mm. like Pocket. Oh, no, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're dreaming because, I mean, I know you're joking, but the thing with these situations is I haven't seen a single voice in support of it outside of the BBC. Mm. They don't care. Well, the BBC won't be around much longer anyway, so... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'm nearly with any of us, yeah. <laughs> We had lots of game development suggestions, including one from Gabriel. Yeah, Gabriel says, I wanted to recommend Pico 8 uh, as a very simple game engine for making small games. I've used it in the past and it served me well. The issue with it is that it's not visual coding, but it's fairly easy to get started with. Scratch is also a good choice. And I wouldn't really go above visual coding when trying to make a game as a seven-year-old kid, to be honest. I learned it back when I was a kid, and it was a ton of fun for me back then. Hang on. Scratch was first released in 2003. How can you have learned that as a kid? <laughs> Are we old? Yes. Oh, well, hold on. Failing. Do you need to go for another wee? <laughs> <laughs> My bladder is contracting as we speak. <laughs> Robin also suggested Pico 8 and said it's all Lua and there are a huge number of how-tos on YouTube. There's also Tick80. And uh, Mr. Jones also suggested Scratch. Yeah, I also got uh, from Chris Patty on Twitter. He, he actually sent me uh, a Pick80 as well. I have so many to look through. Uh, we haven't even included half of them at this point. And I'm, I'm going to make a list, and I'm actually genuinely going to look through a lot of these. But it's going to be, I think, a summer project, to be honest, because... The amount of them, and like even you even sent me a funny one, Graham, where it was based on Bash. It's like ASCII art mazes and stuff. And all of them, I mean, all of them are really good. And like Godot is an amazing engine. Even Unity has, which it turns out has a, a version for Linux that you could actually use for free without having to spend a load of money on it as well. And yeah, we've we've gotten loading like some really hardcore C plus plus ones, which I will just pretend I didn't see because I, I just don't want to. I, I can't take that as a as a pastime. No, um. So yeah, no loads there, and I I think I'll do I'll revisit this in a few months and see where I go. I still think Scratch is your best bet. It might well be. Yeah, I mean, 
but I think, yeah, I think I need to manage expectations. That's the funny thing yeah. about it. Is like, it, yes, absolutely. I mean, yes, we could all do 3D, but I can't do art. So no 3D is happening in this house. Um, not until he gets good anyway. Also, if you feel him, I don't think Pico 8 is open source. Ooh. Oh, I can't stand that. Then. Yeah, yeah. Not in this house. <laughs> I've played with it as well. Um, I think, I, from memory, the Tick 80 Mon may be like a, an open source recreation of a similar idea. Right. To be honest, if I could do it, I'd try Godot, but it, Jesus, it does look really involved. I mean, unsurprisingly, people make a living out of doing this. Who would have thought? I, th- I think if it was me, I'd probably try and find a game where you could get a graphic. I mean, there were Doom level editors, for example. Um, something like that might be a fun thing to try to start off with. Create your own level for something. Yeah, and I don't have the link to... It was in our Telegram chat. Uh, somebody even said, you know, try Gary's Mod, which is on Steam, and he actually plays and messes around and doing all sorts of daft stuff. And yeah, I mean... That that is not a bad idea, um, and you can Lua script that apparently, which I didn't realize. Gary's mod has always puzzled me. I just don't understand that game. It's like a game where the game hasn't actually running. You've like stepped into the developer's backend data store for it. It's really bizarre. I, th- I, th- I think you might be right. Like it, it could actually be just a level editor might be the way to go. But uh, yeah, lots to ponder. That's for sure. And what about Minecraft programming and hacking that? Like, isn't that an option as well? Yeah, uh, actually, somebody did suggest. See, this I would love to link up the list of names. If I was a good person, I would have actually done that. But somebody did suggest Mind Test, which is the open source mm, version. Yeah. I built him a laptop at uh, Christmas. Just it was one of our old ones here in the house, and yeah, he's actually been playing on that. He, it's really good. Mind Test is brilliant, and he was like doing all sorts of crazy stuff on it, like building houses and all this. But uh, yeah, I think it's that interactivity that he's looking for as well. So some sort of script in there maybe right well we'd better get out of here then we'll be back next week when we'll probably be talking about what's been going on in the linux and open source world but until then i've been john i've been Phelan. i've been graham and i've been will see you later